Part three, section thirty one of the Maine Woods by Henry David Thoreau. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part three, the Allagash and East Branch, section thirty one. After the almost incessant rapids and falls of the Madunkchunk, height of land or Webster Stream, we had just passed through the deadwater of Second Lake and were now in the much larger deadwater of grand lake and i thought the indian was entitled to take an extra nap here katahdin near which we were to pass the next day is said to mean highest land so much geography is there in their names the indian navigator naturally distinguishes by a name those parts of a stream where he has encountered quick water and forks and again the lakes and smooth water where he can rest his weary arms since those are the most interesting and more arable parts to him the very sight of the nurlums kichtikuk or deadwater mountains a day's journey off over the forest as we first saw them must awaken in him pleasing memories and not less interesting is it to the white traveller when he is crossing a placid lake in these out-of-the-way woods perhaps thinking that he is in some sense one of the earlier discoverers of it to be reminded that it was thus well known and suitably named by indian hunters perhaps a thousand years ago ascending the precipitous rock which formed this long narrow island i was surprised to find that its summit was a narrow ridge with a precipice on one side and that its axis of elevation extended from northwest to southeast exactly like that of the great rocky ridge at the commencement of the burnt ground ten miles northwesterly the same arrangement prevailed here and we could plainly see that the mountain ridges on the west of the lake trended the same way splendid large harebells nodded over the edge and in the clefts of the cliff and the blueberries vaccinium canadense were for the first time really abundant in the thin soil on its top there was no lack of them henceforward on the east branch there was a fine view hence over the sparkling lake which looked pure and deep and had two or three in all rocky islands in it our blankets being dry we set out again the indian as usual having left his gazette on a tree this time it was we three in a canoe my companion smoking we paddled southward down this handsome lake which appeared to extend nearly as far east as south keeping near the western shore just outside a small island under the dark nurlums kichtikuk mountain for i had observed on my map that this was the course it was three or four miles across it it struck me that the outline of this mountain on the southwest of the lake and of another beyond it was not only like that of the huge rock waves of webster stream but in the main like kineo on moosehead lake having a similar but less abrupt precipice at the southeast end in short that all the prominent hills and ridges hereabouts were larger or smaller kineos and that possibly there was such a relation between kineo and the rocks of webster stream the indian did not know exactly where the outlet was whether at the extreme southwest angle or more easterly and had asked to see my plan at the last stopping place but i had forgotten to show it to him as usual he went feeling his way by a middle course between two probable points from which he could diverge either way at last without losing much distance 
in approaching the south shore as the clouds looked gusty and the waves ran pretty high we so steered as to get partly under the lee of an island though at a greater distance from it i could not distinguish the outlet till we were almost in it and heard the water falling over the dam there here was a considerable fall and a very substantial dam but no sign of a cabin or camp the hunter whom we met at telos lake had told us that there were plenty of trout here but at this hour they did not rise to the bait only cousin trout from the very midst of the rushing waters there are not so many fishes in these rivers as in the concord while we loitered here polis took occasion to cut with his big knife some of the hair from his moose hide and so lightened and prepared it for drying i noticed at several old indian camps in the woods the pile of hair which they had cut from their hides having carried over the dam he darted down the rapids leaving us to walk for a mile or more where for the most part there was no path but very thick and difficult travelling near the stream at length he would call to let us know where he was waiting for us with his canoe when on account of the windings of the stream we did not know where the shore was but he did not call often enough forgetting that we were not indians he seemed to be very saving of his breath yet he would be surprised if we went by or did not strike the right spot this was not because he was unaccommodating but a proof of superior manners indians like to get along with the least possible communication and ado he was really paying us a great compliment all the while thinking that we preferred a hint to a kick at length climbing over the willows and fallen trees when this was easier than to go round or under them we overtook the canoe and glided down the stream in smooth but swift water for several miles i here observed again as at webster stream and on a still larger scale the next day that the river was a smooth and regularly inclined plain down which we coasted as we thus glided along we started the first black ducks which we had distinguished we decided to camp early to-night that we might have ample time before dark so we stopped at the first favourable shore where there was a narrow gravelly beach on the western side some five miles below the outlet of the lake it was an interesting spot where the river began to make a great bend to the east and the last of the peculiar moose-faced nerlum kichtikuk mountains not far southwest of grand lake rose dark in the southwest a short distance behind displaying its gray precipitous southeast side but we could not see this without coming out upon the shore two steps from the water on either side and you come to the abrupt bushy and rooty if not turfy edge of the bank four or five feet high where the interminable forest begins as if the stream had but just cut its way through it it is surprising on stepping ashore anywhere into this unbroken wilderness to see so often at least within a few rods of the river the marks of the axe made by lumberers who have either camped here or driven logs past in previous springs you will see perchance where going on the same errand that you do they have cut large chips from a tall white pine stump for their fire while we were pitching the camp and getting supper the indian cut the rest of the hair from his moose hide and proceeded to extend it vertically on a temporary frame between two small trees half a dozen feet from the opposite side of the fire lashing and stretching it with arbor vitae bark which was always at hand 
and in this case was stripped from one of the trees it was tied to asking for a new kind of tea he made us some pretty good of the checkerberry which covered the ground dropping a little bunch of it tied up with cedar bark into the kettle but it was not quite equal to the chiogenes we called this therefore checkerberry tea camp i was struck with the abundance of the linnea borealis checkerberry and chiogenes hispidula almost everywhere in the main woods the wintergreen chimophila umbellata was still in bloom here and clintonia berries were abundant and ripe this handsome plant is one of the most common in that forest we here first noticed the moosewood in fruit on the banks the prevailing trees were spruce commonly black arbor vitae canoe birch black ash and elms beginning to appear yellow birch red maple and a little hemlock skulking in the forest the indians said that the white maple punk was the best for tinder the yellow birch punk was pretty good but hard after supper he put on the moose tongue and lips to boil cutting out the septum he showed me how to write on the under side of birch bark with a black spruce twig which is hard and tough and can be brought to a point the indian wandered off into the woods a short distance just before night and coming back said me found great treasure fifty sixty dollars worth what's that we asked steel traps under a log thirty or forty i didn't count em i guess indian work worth three dollars apiece it was a singular coincidence that he should have chanced to walk to and look under that particular log in that trackless forest i saw chivin and chub in the stream when washing my hands but my companion tried in vain to catch them i also heard the sound of bullfrogs from a swamp on the opposite side thinking at first that they were moose a duck paddled swiftly by and sitting in that dusky wilderness under that dark mountain by the bright river which was full of reflected light still i heard the wood thrush sing as if no higher civilization could be attained by this time the night was upon us you commonly make your camp just at sundown and are collecting wood gathering your supper or pitching your tent while the shades of night are gathering around and adding to the already dense gloom of the forest you have no time to explore or look around you before it is dark you may penetrate half a dozen rods farther into that twilight wilderness after some dry bark to kindle your fire with and wonder what mysteries lie hidden still deeper in it say at the end of a long day's walk or you may run down to the shore for a dipper of water and get a clearer view for a short distance up or down the stream and while you stand there see a fish leap or duck alight in the river or hear a wood thrush or robin sing in the woods that is as if you had been to town or civilized parts but there is no sauntering off to see the country and ten or fifteen rods seems a great way from your companions and you come back with the air of a much-travelled man as from a long journey with adventures to relate though you may have heard the crackling of the fire all the while and at a hundred rods you might be lost past recovery and have to camp out it is all mossy and moosey in some of those dense fir and spruce woods there is hardly room for the smoke to go up the trees are a standing night and every fir or spruce which you fell is a plume plucked from night's raven wing then at night the general stillness is more impressive than any sound but occasionally you hear the note of an owl farther or nearer in the woods 
and if near a lake the semi-human cry of the loons at their unearthly revels to-night the indian lay between the fire and his stretched moose-hide to avoid the mosquitoes indeed he also made a small smoky fire of damp leaves at his head and his feet and then as usual rolled up his head in his blanket we with our veils and our wash were tolerably comfortable but it would be difficult to pursue any sedentary occupation in the woods at this season you cannot see to read much by the light of a fire through a veil in the evening nor handle pencil and paper well with gloves or anointed fingers friday july thirty first the indian said you and i kill moose last night therefore use em best wood always use hard wood to cook moose meat his best wood was rock maple he cast the moose's lip into the fire to burn the hair off and then rolled it up with the meat to carry along observing that we were sitting down to breakfast without any pork he said with a very grave look me want some fat so he was told that he might have as much as he would fry we had smooth but swift water for a considerable distance where we glided rapidly along scaring up ducks and kingfishers but as usual our smooth progress ere long came to an end and we were obliged to carry canoe and all about half a mile down the right bank around some rapids or falls it required sharp eyes sometimes to tell which side was the carry before you went over the falls but polis never failed to land us rightly the raspberries were particularly abundant and large here and all hands went to eating them the indian remarking on their size often on bare rocky carries the trail was so indistinct that i repeatedly lost it but when i walked behind him i observed that he could keep it almost like a hound and rarely hesitated or if he paused a moment on a bare rock his eye immediately detected some sign which would have escaped me frequently we found no path at all in these places and were to him unaccountably delayed he would only say it was ver strange we had heard of a grand fall on this stream and thought that each fall we came to must be it but after christening several in succession with this name we gave up the search there were more grand or petty falls than i can remember i cannot tell how many times we had to walk on account of falls or rapids we were expecting all the while that the river would take a final leap and get to smooth water but there was no improvement this forenoon however the carries were an agreeable variety so surely as we stepped out of the canoe and stretched our legs we found ourselves in a blueberry and raspberry garden each side of our rocky trail around the falls being lined with one or both there was not a carry on the main east branch where we did not find an abundance of both these berries for these were the rockiest places and partially cleared such as these plants prefer and there had been none to gather the finest before us in our three journeys over the carries for we were obliged to go over the ground three times whenever the canoe was taken out we did full justice to the berries and they were just what we wanted to correct the effect of our hard bread and pork diet another name for making a portage would have been going a burying we also found a few amelanchier or service berries though most were abortive but they held on rather more generally than they do in concord the indian called them pomoimenuk and said that they bore much fruit in some places he sometimes also ate the northern wild red cherries saying that they were good medicine but they were scarcely edible we bathed and dined at the foot of one of these carries 
It was the Indian who commonly reminded us that it was dinner time, sometimes even by turning the prow to the shore. He once made an indirect but lengthy apology by saying that we might think it strange, but that one who worked hard all day was very particular to have his dinner in good season. At the most considerable fall on this stream, when I was walking over the carry close behind the Indian, he observed a track on the rock which was but slightly covered with soil, and stooping muttered, caribou. When we returned, he observed a much larger track near the same place where some animal's foot had sunk into a small hollow in the rock, partly filled with grass and earth, and he exclaimed with surprise, what that? Well, what is it? I asked. Stooping and laying his hand in it, he answered with a mysterious air, and in a half-whisper, devil, that is, Indian devil or cougar, ledges about here, very bad animal, pull em rocks all to pieces. How long since it was made, I asked. Today or yesterday, said he. But when I asked him afterward if he was sure it was the devil's track, he said he did not know. I had been told that the scream of a cougar was heard about Katahdin recently, and we were not far from that mountain. End of part three, section thirty-one. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.